This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, everyone. If you didn't get a white sheet on your your seat or at the front door. Can you just, you can just wave your hands around right now and somebody will bring you one. You're, you're maybe going to feel a bit lost if you don't have one today. You don't even have to share. We, we photocopied enough for everyone to have one. So just wave your hands around and the ushers are going to come and be so kind as to bring them to you. I think there's some people in the balcony that need them. Oh, this is great. In the first service, we didn't through, think through putting them on the chairs. So we had to have a whole section of me telling awkward jokes well, the papers got handed out. So today we don't have to do that. Um, you know, part of the reason we're going to do this is because every week I'm asking the Lord, how do I make God's word come alive for your people? And um, as we're studying the book of Lamentations, uh, this is a long chapter that we're going to be going through. And so I want to make sure that, we're, um, that you're able to follow along and that you're all following along in the same version. There are lots of good versions, but it's great when we're reading together that we're reading the same one. Um, I want to uh, start off today talking about an article that I read recently that was written a couple of years ago called The Anatomy of a Tearjerker. And if you read this, it was an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about uh, how some songs make us cry. Now, this song was written during uh, Adele's big uh, hit album. If you only listen to Christian music, just ignore me for this second. But um, you, if you ever went to the grocery store in this time, you'll know that she wrote songs like Someone Like You. And Saturday Night Live made like a skit about it that like anytime the song came on, everybody started crying. No matter where you were, you were in your car, you were crying. You were at the grocery store, you cried. It didn't matter. Your doctor's office, you're crying. Uh, this song had the ability to like send all of us into, even if you'd never experienced breakup before, you're like, I understand. (sighs) If you are even at least a bit like open to crying at all, you definitely cried in your car during this song. You know, where you pull up to the stop sign, you're like wiping your tears because you don't want the person next to you seeing. (sighs) And we all became singers during that song because we all knew every lyric like we could sing like Adele. Newsflash, you cannot. Uh, I'm just, it's not even a prophetic word, just true. Um, The question they asked, though, was this, why do some songs make us cry? Have you ever wondered that? Sometimes uh, Pastor Abel will pull out a song that, like, and I'm, like, mad at him on the front row because I do not want to cry before I get up here and wreck my makeup. Like, why are we singing that song again? Uh, And there are some songs that just make us cry. So they ask this question, what makes a person cry? cry. For all the artists in the room, I'm sorry, the scientists dissected your art and wrecked it. Uh, What they found is very interesting. In 90% of songs that make us cry, there is this thing, and I'm going to teach you a new word today, called an apogatura. An apogatura is, is a form of dissonance in a song. So in songs that make us cry, here's what happens. You're going along, you're going along, you understand, and then all of a sudden, the song goes like out of the chords change. There's dissonance in it. It makes you feel like kind of weird. And then the song resolves. And it is in the resolution that you actually break down emotionally and cry your eyes out. 
Now, this can happen to us in music, but it can also happen in poetry. There are apogaturas in poetry as well. So the poem is going along. It sounds fine. Roses are red, violets are blue, and this song has no apogatura. This poem has no apogatura in it. But then the voice changes, and when the voice changes, that creates dissonance for us, and so we cry. That's why some of you, when you read poetry, you cry. That's why some of you, when you listen to songs, you cry. Today, I want to suggest that Lamentations chapter 3 has an apogatura in it. And this is why it is at the center of the book of Lamentations. Um, if you were here, if you were not here last week, um, or the week before, if this is your first week, you need to know that Lamentations is written in five chapters. It's five distinct poems, and they're all acrostic poems. Um, all of Lamentations is written in an acrostic poem. By that, it means like it's an alphabetic acrostic poem, so it's A, B, C, D. The first, second, fourth, and fifth chapters of the book of Lamentations have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66. Now, it's still an acrostic alphabetic poem, but it goes like this. A, A, A. Now, this is in Hebrew, so just A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 D, 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 all the way to the end of the alphabet. And this is important for us to understand. The author is deliberately trying to draw our attention to this. Um, and everything, listen, everything we read in the book of Lamentations is raw, emotionally raw. And we need to understand that all that emotion, though, is submitting to a very specific structure. And this tells us that God, even in the midst of our wild emotions, that God is in control. God is, the, the author is communicating God's ultimate control in the face of the messiness of life's pain. Art is imitating life here. This is a beautiful thing. And the author is saying, I know that we're talking a lot about emotions, but I want you to know God has it under control. This scripture as well tells us something about what God thinks about emotions. Okay, so... Apogaturas, we know scientifically now that apogaturas actually cause us to have massive emotions. We cry, we weep. It's interesting that in the third chapter of Lamentations, you'll see it, it was the same Lamentations 1, Lamentations 2, Lamentations 3, 1 through verse 22. And then we get this dissonant voice starting it, and it's an apogatura. Tells us something about what God thinks about emotions. If you grew up in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, you probably heard something like this. You can't trust emotions. How many of you heard this? The spiritual, yeah, you can't trust your emotions. Now, granted, I did a little, uh, I did a little scrolling this morning, checking out what my friends were preaching, because that's a thing that pastors do. <laughs> and I actually heard two or three of my friends saying, you've got to make decisions over your desires, decisions over your emotions. And this is true. But what we did sort of in... Um, in telling a truth is we, we took the truth to its extremities and what we told people is that their emotions didn't matter at all. That if you're going to be a Christian, you basically have to be a robot and walk around and have no emotions at all. Lamentations tells us that that's absolutely incorrect. Lamentations chapter three is all the emotions. And God not only said yes to that, he's put a stamp of approval on it and called it his word. And if we remember that Jesus is the word incarnate, what we remember is that Jesus, Jesus actually doesn't despise your emotions. He doesn't despise them at all. And to be a Christian does not mean to be emotionless. 
Okay, so here's how we're going to go through this chapter today. I photocopied some of these. Um, I photocopied the chapter three of Lamentations. Now, this is also an eye test for you, apparently. If you cannot see the font, you need to make a call to your ophthalmologist tomorrow. And, and some of you are going to come to me and say, you put this in two font. Dave said that to me this morning. You put it in two font, two. And I said, put your glasses on, honey. And you know what happened when he put them on? He could see. It's a wonderful thing about science. Okay, so if you can't see it, use your, you know what you can do? Like me, when you get to a certain age and you go to a restaurant and you don't have your glasses with you, what do you do? Take out the old flashlight, everybody. Everybody, you can use your old flashlight trick right now. And your kids aren't here to make fun of you for having the flashlight on full time like I do. Okay. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to make some observations of the text. Uh, part of the reason I want to do this is, is part of my job, I believe, is to help you become biblical scholars, all of us, to get into God's word, to dig into God's word, to find out what he's saying to us. And so I'm going to show you a little bit the method, how I go about Bible study. And this might not be the method you do, but, it, but you might not have a method, so I'm here to help. <laughs> Usually when I come to a scripture like Lamentations chapter 3, which is its own poem, I'm going to read that scripture two or three times. And then I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that says, God, would you just illuminate your word to my mind? And, and the Bible tells us that he'll be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. His word is a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. And then uh, after I've done that, and I, I'll make some notes on the side, I've left you some room to make some notes. I'll just make a few notes and jot a few observations down. And it's only then that I'll start to read commentaries and what other people have said about it. Partly because sometimes if I hear what other people have said about it, I don't hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to me about it. And so I, I would just encourage you to, when, you're, when you come to God's word, God's placed his spirit inside of you. He is your teacher. He will show you. That's not to disparage other people. We must listen to other voices. We are in this in community. But part of, is, part of what we know is we just start to observe. So what I'm going to share with you is some of the things that I observed and then also some of the things that I studied and read about. Um, let's start at verse number one. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Okay, so when you read those first two verses, what should come to your mind right away is Psalm 23. We sang about it this morning. His rod and his staff, they what? They comfort me. And then Lamentations 1 makes you go, what? What is going on? His rod of wrath? Like nobody's turning that into a song. Nobody's, nobody's lifting their hands to that. And then it says that he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. What does Psalm 23 says? He makes me walk by streams. Like it's not the same, it's not the same verse. You're thinking, what is God's word contradicting itself? No. What's happening here is the author is explaining how he feels in light of what he knows from God's scripture. I don't know if you've ever been in a position like that where you think, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack anything, and you think, I lack all kinds of things. This is what the, this is what the, the author, the prophet Jeremiah, is saying right here. And then he goes on for 22 verses. We're not going to read them all. I tried to read them all in the first service, so you get the second try. Uh, you, you, we don't have time. But he goes on and on and on. In verse, it says, Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. There is nothing worse than your skin growing old, by the way. And he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. 
And now you're saying to yourself, I thought you said chapter three was the happy chapter. I came today because I thought this was the happy one. So for 22 verses, we get more of the same. More of the same from Lamentations 1, Lamentations 2, Lamentations 3. It seems like this is going to be a funeral dirge. And by the way, again, Lamentations 3 is still written in the rhythm and format of a funeral dirge. When you read this as a first-time reader, you would have thought to yourself, I have come to a funeral. Okay, but I, I want you to see in the most encouraging chapter of the book of Lamentations, the pain is still palpable. I, I do love this about God, though. He doesn't pull any punches with us. He doesn't say to us, listen, you're going to come to me and everything's going to be amazing. In Lamentations 3, the most cheerful chapter of the whole thing, the pain is still palpable. And it is like um, chapter, verses 1 through 22, it's like you, uh, Jeremiah was a teenager and put his parents on blast. That's what it kind of sounds like to me. Like he's going to say everything he can that he's mad about, about his heavenly father. What's amazing about this scripture, though, is that it reminds me that God is big enough to handle our concerns. All the way, verses 1 through 22, God says nothing. He just lets the writer, the poet, just, he lets him go on and on. And this sort of reminds me of like when my kids were really small and they first learned to speak. <laughs> if you have any kids here, you know that you're like really, for your first child, you want them to speak very early. Because you're talking to them all the time. And then our daughter spoke very early. And from the time she started speaking, she has not stopped. And um, so she was little. And when she was little, she would have these major tantrums. You know what I didn't, and, and she wasn't worse than any other kid, just normal. But when you'd go to the grocery store and, you know, they want something at the grocery store, always something with sugar that you kind of want to. Um, and you have to say no. And then they say, oh, I don't like you. You're so mean. Why are you so mean? You know what I never do? I never like broke down in tears and was like, you know what? I can't take it. You have called me mean. And now I know I am. Now I, <gasps> now we're both having a tantrum. I never did that. Why? Because I'm bigger. <laughs> I'm not bigger anymore, but I once was bigger. And I'm supposed to be more mature. You know, this is similar to what is happening in Lamentations 3, verses 1 through 22. The poet is having a tantrum. What God does not do is like get down on the ground with you and be like, how come I'm going to kill you now because you called me mean? Some of us, that's what we think God does, though. He doesn't do that, though. In Lamentations 3, if you ever want a, a book of the Bible to tell you that God is not shooting darts at you, it's Lamentations People are complaining all day long. All day long, they're having it out for God. And he just is silent. This is beautiful. This is the power of this book. No one has ever said, give your life to Christ and you'll never experience pain again. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. In this life, you will have trouble. Then he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Okay, so in the midst of this chapter, the pain's still palpable. This, the second thing I want you to see is this. The first time the, the Lord's name is mentioned is in verse 18. It says, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I, I had hoped for from the Lord. It is right at this verse that we hit a fulcrum in the, in the, um, in the poem. Right when the Lord's name is mentioned. 
And I, I want to suggest that when we have problems, that the best thing we can do is bring those problems to the Lord. What's hard for many of us is that we become full-time stuffers. Like, because we, part of it is we think it's like not really a big thing, so we stuff it down, and we stuff it down, and we stuff it down, and we stuff it down until we blow. And this is exactly why I think there's all kinds of dissension and problems in churches. This is why there's church splits and lack of peace in churches, because people have stuff, 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 bam! And there's a massive explosion, and everyone's like, what is going on? Now, you get two or three of those explosions at once, and you've got mayhem. The way that we guard ourselves from that is by bringing everything that hurts us, everything that's painful to us, to the Lord over and over and over again. What Lamentations 3 tells us, what the book of Lamentations tells us is that this is not just a one and done. I wish that I could tell you, go home today and like share all your hardship with the Lord and you'll never have to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing if that were true. And yet, Lamentations 1, you think he got it all out in Lamentations 1. And Lamentations 2, that if you were here last week, you know it was a, whoo. You think he's over in Lamentations 3, and he's not even going to be over after this week. This idea of bringing our things to the Lord over and over again. You know, the hardest part of my job is when people sit in my office and say things like, "Um, I've never shared this with anybody before. And I'm looking into the eyes of someone that's carried pain for decades. If we are going to be healthy, part of our vision is to to create a church where healthy people learn to exist. The only way we get healthy is by bringing our hurt and our pain to the Lord. He wants us to. He asks us to over and over and over again. But the The mood of this poem shifts as soon as the person mentions the name of Yahweh. I want you to look at verse 19. I planned on not crying for these small little words, but I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of my gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. And then verse 21 says this, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. In the midst of grief, Sometimes we must force ourselves to remember God's goodness. The Hebrew in this um, text, in verse 21, yet this I call to mind, is this idea of a head turning. You know when you go to the chiropractor or the physiotherapist and they turn your head to places. I went this week and apparently I didn't know I couldn't, I didn't know I couldn't turn my head to the left or the right. And the physiotherapist said to me, did you, did you know you can't turn your head? I was like, No. <laughs> And I realized when he was asking me to look at something over there, oh, yeah, I can't turn my head at all. Uh, and, and he actually had to take my head and turn it all the way. And it was a bit painful, but, but I'm getting it fixed. So now I'm, it's like so amazing. Now that, you can, now that I can turn my neck, I, I forgot what that was like. Truthfully, though, some of us are like that. We, we actually have to learn to turn our heads to the goodness of God even when it feels difficult. And this is what this particular verse in the Hebrew is reminding us of, that we have to, yes, there is a time to grumble, there is a time to get all of your angst out before the Lord. But there will come a time that we must remember the goodness of the Lord, and because of that, we will have hope. 
Dr. Caroline Leaf says in her brain, says in her book, Switch on Your Brain, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. Okay, so, so the, the reality is, in essence, she says, science is proving that free will and, relate, and there is a relationship between free will and our thinking. Meaning this, you, you can change the neural pathways of your brain. If you get into, some, some of us are so wired to be negative thinkers all day long. You get up in the morning and you think, well, it's sunny out, but it's kind of the worst and I'm worried about the farmers and we are, we're praying for rain. But, but, then, but then we get to the next thing and we think, I got my toast down and it's not burnt, but it's not really too perfect. And then you get to your husband or wife has undone the dishwasher and you think, but they didn't do it to my liking. And, and you go through it your whole day like that. You, you actually, there, there is a difference between dwelling in your discouragement and saying, no, God, I, I'm going to actually, I'm going to train my mind to remember your goodness. Because no matter what difficult season you are in, there is still something that you can turn your neck towards and say, I will, I will turn myself to your goodness. Now, this takes work. It takes a conscious effort on our, on our part. Let me read this scripture from Romans chapter 12. It says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of us have been wanting to change, be changed into a new person. And, and listen, when we come to Jesus, the Bible says that you are a new creation in Christ. <laughs> but some of our mouths have to catch up with what God's done in our heart. And we actually have to say, no, I'm turning towards you, God. Yet this I call to mind, and because of it, I have hope. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Some of us are wondering what we do next. Part of it is we've got to control our mind, call to mind that which God has done for us. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now understand, this is not about pretending everything's great in your life. This is not getting up in the morning and going, I have a headache, but I don't have one. I'm taking my headache captive. That's not what this is talking about. This is saying, I, I'm going to take the idea that I will always be like this, that things are always going to be terrible, that nothing works out for me. I'm taking that thought captive. And I'm saying, Jesus, your word says you've got good plans for me. I'm taking that thought captive. I'm going to believe that you've got good things for me. I'm not going to get stuck there. What's hard is that in the Christian world, we like, we don't know we do it, but like after a while that you've been here, you know that we talk in like these weird cliches. And if you're not like a really brave person, you, you won't ask, what do you mean by that? Someone sat in my office a little while ago and I said, you know, what we got to do is take every thought captive. And they looked at me like I had four heads and it was right. Because like we say weird stuff like that, like take every thought captive. What do you mean? Am I going to like call the, what, what does that mean? And what does that actually mean in my real life? And I've had to do a little bit of thinking about that. It means that I have to be conscious and present to every thought running through my mind. It means that when thoughts come into my mind, I have to evaluate, is this thought from God or is this thought something that I like 
like I'm getting stuck on. And all the stuck thoughts, I just have to say, Jesus, I'm asking that you would help. You would have authority over this thought. That you would like actually change my desires to be your desires. That's a prayer I'm praying a hundred times a day. Change my desires to your desires, God. But this means that we can't go through life like in a lazy river. Like we're just like, letting all the thoughts. Some of us, that's how we live our Christian lives. We just, we actually have to be vigilant. This is why the New Testament says be vigilant. Because the enemy is prowling around like a lion. And sometimes our thoughts are our own worst enemy. Yeah. So we take every thought and we make it obedient to Jesus. And this is how in hard times, listen, in hard times, if you've ever walked through a hard time, it's, this is, it gets really easy to get into a neural pathway that you and I both know is not just grieving. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know the difference. Like, grieving, we're not saying don't grieve. I'm not saying don't deal with your stuff. But you know when you get to wallowing? Do you know the difference? I know the difference when I'm wallowing. Okay, so let me just tell, when we were in the middle of COVID, I know I'm not supposed to talk about it anymore, but okay, that was four years ago, by the way, for those of you that want to have a mind, your mind blown right now, four years ago. Okay, so for the first couple of months or weeks, the first couple of weeks, it was okay. Halfway through it, I'm going to tell you that I am up here preaching my heart out to a camera. It is freezing in this sanctuary because we're trying to keep all the costs down. I'm like, if you go back and watch those videos now, it's so funny because you could see that I was like, trying not to, okay. The person who is filming me, who I will not look at right now, um, is on there because I, I would often mess up and then I'd be like, I have to start again. So, so the poor people listening to my message had to listen to it a couple of times. But you know what? No one, no one who was listening was being transformed by my messages in here. In fact, the people filming me were like going like this on their phones and then laughing, looking at memes. I'm telling something heartbreaking. I, I am really trying to work it over and they are laughing. They're doing this you know when people are laughing and they're shaking and it's not because they're cold? It was the worst. And I am not good in front of a camera. I'm not funny. I don't have anything to say. I can't look at your faces and think of a story. There was, there was nothing. If it wasn't on my page, it didn't come into my head. <sighs> on a good note, you didn't have to get any terrible jokes, really. But on a bad note, I, I was feeling like I cannot do this anymore. And so Dave and I, we did buy a polar bear dog, and we had to walk the dog every day. And I've told you this before, how I wanted to quit, and I would just bellyache. The whole, the entire walk was me saying, what other career could I become? And I'd be like walking, but also, you know, when you're walking and looking something up on your phone? So I was looking up um, the job of a taxidermist. Could I become a taxidermist? How does one become? I don't know why I chose this career. I just, it chose me, <laughs> and I was looking up, where do I go to school to become a tax? I was saying to Dave, we can start a business. I don't know if it's even in need, but I, I don't know. It was the worst, and it wasn't just me belly aching, like this is hard, and this is hard for so many of us. This is hard for all of us. It wasn't, it was like beyond lamentation. We're getting into like the territory of like, woe is me. Everything is the worst. God obviously hates me because everyone in my church hates me. I know you didn't hate me, but I felt that way. Ah. And Dave looked at me in one of these particular walks and said, Are you done? 
Now, now, gentlemen, I'm not going to suggest that this would be a good way to go about strengthening your marriage. However, in this point in time, this was a prophetic word to me. And Dave had to say to me, so we're either going to believe that God's called us or we're not. You're either going to believe you're called to this or you're not. I'm done. I'm done doing this. I'm done talking about this. I'm done doing it. Whoo! you got to have people that will call you to the right things. And yet this I call to mind. And because of it, I have hope. And you know, from that moment on, it was like something stood up on the inside of me. And I'm not going to be a taxidermist. <laughs> Praise God. I don't think I would have been good at it anyways. <laughs> but some of us need a moment where we say to ourselves, or maybe you need to hear me saying this to you today, are you done? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you see the apagatera here, though? Worse, the worst, the worst, the worst. Oh! we're going into something totally different. Great is your faithfulness. Some of you have this as a fridge magnet on your fridge. And all of a sudden you feel different about the book of Lamentations. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I, I want you to see something here. The word love, it just looks like a regular old word love. It's the word has said because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. It's the um, it's the Hebrew word said, and said. we just go to that slide, said means that, this, just the next one, said means the steadfast love of God, or mercy, or loyalty. It's, it's actually not a word that's really easy to translate into English. It's more than just love. It's the action of God withholding his just wrath. Now, what's interesting about this word is that we find that all throughout scripture, the hesed of God becomes the strongest force on earth. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what pain you're going through. The hesed of God actually propels us through things. And it's actually why we then respond with love to others, with hesed to other people. Um, in the book of Hosea, it says this. It says, I want you to show, this is God speaking to his people, I want you to show love or mercy. Sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll see this, uh, this word translated as the word mercy. I want you to show love or mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And the next one from Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to do but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, has said, and to walk humbly before your God. The reason... The reason we do things like the warming center in, in, our, in our building is not because, like, we want a golden star or we think God will love us more or because it's easy or because it's cool. Or The reason we do that is because we have to show ways to show the hesed of God, the mercy that God has shown us. We show other people. And we've got to keep, just like Lamentations, keeps, God keeps showing up for his people. They keep running their mouths and getting in trouble, and he keeps showing up with his hesed, his steadfast love. So we keep showing up with the hesed of God to others over and over 
and over again, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's hard, even when it feels like nothing is working, we keep showing up with the headset of God, not because we want God to love us more, but because God has loved us with that kind of love. And this is why as Christians, we sing over and over and over about the love of God. I had somebody say to me, why are we always singing about God's love? Like, couldn't we sing about something else? But the Apostle Paul reminds us that we can never know how deep and how high and how wide the love of God is for us. And so we keep singing about it because we keep reminding ourselves that his love, his compassion is never ending. We turn our, uh, we turn our head to the hesed of God and we let his love cover us. And that in turn, we give that to other people. And that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have God's love cover us, and then we share that with other people. It's never been about rules and regulations. It's never been about do these 673 rules and God will love you. It is about us being showered and covered with his mercy and grace, and then we share that with other people. The Hesed of God is the most powerful, it's the most powerful force on earth. That's why, by the way, it's also why I'm never worried when people come to Jesus and they don't get all the things right. They just understand that God loves them because love leads us in the, the love of God will lead us in the right way. That's why we don't have to get like all worried, like, oh, we haven't taught them all the things yet. They don't know all the rules. Just let people know God's love. God's love will direct people. Now, that doesn't mean we don't speak truth and we don't tell the truth, but we do. But the main thing is, are people growing in the love of God? And God's love is not just easy. We're going to see this in in the next few verses. But it is the most powerful force on earth. Okay, the, the next thing I noticed here in the scripture is that our ability to wait in silence is directly correlated to our spiritual maturity. From verse 28, 24, all the way to verse 29. It's all about waiting in silence. Let's read it. It says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. By the way, when you read the Hebrew scriptures, the word hate, hope, not hate, hope and wait are the same word. It's really interesting because it means that when we wait, we're not just passively waiting like, I don't know if this is going to happen. It's actually a combination of the word wait and hope. That we wait with expectant hope. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Sorry, verse 26. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence for the Lord is laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Um, the idea that we must become people who wait is anchored throughout scripture. The only way to maturity is through waiting. And I would say this scripture speaks directly to young people, but I would say to all people that we must become people. Like if you're in a season of waiting where it seems like nothing you had thought was going to happen has happened, you you can say this to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forming me. Thank you, Lord, for shaping me in this season. You're forming, you're shaping, you're turning me into who you have always created me to be. You cannot be mature 
and not learn to how to wait. So this is, this is exactly why sometimes we have to wait for answers to prayer. God doesn't say no. He just says wait. And part of the waiting is God is more interested in who you're becoming than in answering your, whatever your request is at the moment. He wants to shape you and grow you. And this is like interesting because it says it's good while a man is young. I, I, I actually think there's all kinds of people who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They don't learn this. And it makes them immature old people. And it's really why, uh, we, it's again why we have all kinds of strife and struggle. Immature people who have walked with the Lord for some time but have not allowed the Lord to shape them in the waiting if you don't get shaped in the waiting, what will happen is culture will shape you instead. You become impatient. You don't know, uh, you can't figure out why things aren't going the way that you want them to go. So you just are perpetually having a tantrum. People, saints of God who you know are saints. You know, you've ever walked with somebody who's like a real saint? You get around them and you think, whoa, you have been with Jesus. People like that always know how to wait. When I was first in ministry, I was like, re- I, I mean, I'm still zealous for the Lord, but like, I was like, um, I was wanting revival to break forth every single time I came to church. Like people, it was not enough for me if people came to Jesus. I wanted there to be sweating and tears, and it was the 90s, so okay. Well, I remember one old saint of God said to me, just learn to wait on him. Relax. Wait on him. He'll be good to you in the waiting. I'm going to say that to you today. He will be good to you in the waiting. There's something beautiful about that. If we'll let the Lord be good to us in the waiting. Some of us, I would say the same thing too. Relax. He'll be good to you in the waiting. He is so good to us. We go back to the scripture that says his compassions never fail. He's compassionate for you as you wait. Maybe you could just breathe a little prayer that says, God, thank you for this opportunity to wait. I don't get it all now, but I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait until you say so. Okay. So then um, we also see this. This is uh, verse 22 is an important verse. Verse, sorry, 33. Let's start at verse 32. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. This is an important theological verse for us to camp on for a minute tells us that God is not in the business of throwing darts at anybody. He doesn't want to do this at all. It is not like God is up in heaven saying, you know what? You kind of failed today. We're going we're gonna to hit you a little bit. <laughs> a little bit of a tsunami for you. Lamentations 3, verse 33, tells us that God's not willing to afflict anybody. And what we find in this is that, um, you know, a lot of times the things that come to me that are like, Calamity does fall on us, so how does that happen? It, it, often it's me. I'm the problem. Thank you, Taylor Swift. <laughs> uh, it's me. I'm the problem. And that's true for a lot of, think of the, a lot of the things that go wrong in your life. You try to blame it on other people, but you really are the problem. This is true a lot of times. Now, sometimes other people are the problem. I mean, if somebody cuts you off in traffic and causes you to crash into them, that's not a you problem. That's a bad driver's problem. <sighs> So some of our problems are caused by that. And some of our problems are because we live in a fallen world. 
you need to understand the theology that says that when our origin story, that when sin entered into the, entered into the world, that the world became fallen. And so much of the calamity that we find ourselves in, like you think about natural disasters, God didn't say, get up one morning and say, you know what, I'm not liking the look of that country today. I'm just going to smite them. No, no, we live in a fallen world. And so because of the fallen, the fallen world has affected everything about the world. The weather, the people, the people, the people, the people, the sharks that bite us, tigers that eat us, all the things I'm scared of in, in nature. This is all because of fallen world. And our theology has to be right here and straight here because otherwise we'll start attributing things to God that were never God's to be attributed to at all. And it, Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 13. There was a disaster that happened in the first century. Uh, apparently, the Romans had been building this tower, the Tower of Siloam, and it had fallen. <laughs> Bad engineering. They needed you engineers there then. And it fell and it killed many people. And the people were the same as the people are now. People were going, oh, they must have had a lot of sin. Those people that were building that, they must have had a lot of sin. And Jesus corrected them. He said, come on, guys, do you actually think that all those people had more sin than you have? You can imagine if you were, you were talking to Jesus at that moment, you're feeling pretty much the highlighted. And Jesus said, no, no. Sometimes things happen just because we're in a fallen world, and we've got to square with that. God is a God who brings perfect gifts to us. He's a, it, the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, where, of whom there is no shadow of turning. That means he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't get up one day and say, I'm going to give good gifts on Tuesdays, but on Thursdays, not so much. Our sin does have consequences, though. And because God lets us have free will, those consequences, we are recipients often of those consequences. And the people of Israel were recipients of those consequences as well. So then finally, we get to the next half. And I know you're all so worried because it's 12.07 and we have a whole half of page to go. <laughs> Don't be afraid. This next half. So you have, let, let, let me just show you on this page. So this page, complaining, complaining, complaining. This page, the Apogatura, everything is good and it's dissonant here. This back page, both, both rows are all about the prophet asking for God's forgiveness, repenting, asking God to hear his cry, examining himself. Let me read some of these verses from verse 40. It says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. If you read this part, you'd think, what? We have sinned and rebelled and you have not. I thought God always forgave. You should be asked, by the way, when you come to scriptures like this, it should make you go, you should be having question marks in the, but I want us to read down to verse um, 48. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. Je Jeremiah is talking about interceding for people at this point. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. And then we jump up to verse 55. It says, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. This is the only time in the whole book of Lamentations that God's voice is even uttered. And he's not... Jeremiah is recounting what the Lord speaks. Do not fear. What's interesting is that at the beginning of this, 
uh, for, you know, where the prophet begins unpacking his own stuff. If you've ever done this before, I know I have. I've like started unpacking my stuff and I'm like, yeah, God, I'm super sorry for this. And I'm like, at first I know, I mean, I do mean it, but you know, like you don't really change much from the time you were seven to the, how you are now. But then Jeremiah really gets to the depths of it. It says that his tears are flowing unceasingly. I'm not saying you can't repent. You, if you don't cry, you're not repenting. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying there is this out of the depths of our soul where we're saying, God, I'm asking you to help me. I can't keep going the same way I've been going. I actually need you to help me to repent and turn from my ways. This is the call of scripture to us here. And then we find in verse 55 that God hears his cry. And what does he say? This is so cool. What God, you know what God doesn't say? Try again harder. Do better next time. You were good, but not that good. Like, he doesn't say that at all. He says one thing, do not fear. Do you know what I suspect? That the bottom of every sin we deal with is fear. Fear that we won't be loved. Fear that we're not good enough. Fear that we can't cope with the pain we're feeling with. Listen, the problem is never drugs. It's not this... The sin is not really drugs. The sin is that you don't feel like you can deal with it, that you're fearful that you can't do it without something else to help you. The sin is not rage. The sin is that you, you feel like you're not in control, and so you try to control by becoming big, scary. Our sins always have to do with fear. And this is why when God comes to us, he doesn't come to us with a like, here's 75 things you've done wrong. He comes to us with one saying, do not fear. So beautiful. Now, if we really let that change us, that actually turns us around. Repentance is not just saying sorry. It's like turning. It's, it's the, the actual word means to turn from your sin and walk the other way. What's hard about that, though, is if you've been walking one way and now you turn around and you're going to start walking the other way, uh, you're walking on a new path. And that does sometimes cause us to have fear. This is a new way of being. If all you've known is one way of living and now you're going to walk in another way, there can be fear. And this is why God said, do not fear. Kind of repent, turn. Okay, so here's what we're going to do as we close. Um, I want us to examine ourselves today and ask ourselves some questions from the text. Whenever I'm reading a biblical passage, any passage, um, listen, you can memorize the Bible and it wouldn't change your life just by memorizing it. Um, because it's not, it, you actually have to do some internal work with that Bible. There are many people that have memorized the Bible that are still cranky. They're still kind of awful. <laughs> you don't feel like they've been transformed, but they have memorized the King James Version backwards and forwards. Uh, and, and so when I say to you that like we need, must be people of the word, I'm not just saying that we would read the Bible like it's magical. And somehow we actually have to like get ourselves into the text. We have to ask ourselves difficult questions, and then we have to pray that God is going to help us. Yes? Do you understand what I'm saying? So when I, whenever I come to a text, I'm, I'm finding four or five questions that I can ask myself of the text. If you're reading along with us in the Bible plan today, we're, we're in the book of Numbers today, everybody, and it's the Day of Atonement again. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's hard to figure out what questions do I need to ask, but that's actually where the forming is done in the hard books. 
This is why we're always going to look at hard books. By the way, after Easter, we're going to do a series in the book of Daniel, and the first half is going to be really great, and the second half is going to be hard. <laughs> so you can look forward to that in April. Um, okay, but here, here are the questions that I asked myself. You might ask yourself different questions of the text, but here's the questions the text really asked of me. Is there pain in my life that I haven't brought before God? Do I have some pain in my life that I've never brought before God? That's, that's the first 22 verses. I'm not talking about bringing it to your best friend or bringing it to your mom or bringing it to your grandma. Is there pain that I have not brought before God? Not said, God, this hurt me. That person hurt me. I felt abandoned by you when this happened. It's biblical. You'd bring your pain before God. Second thing is, have I called out to God in the midst of my grief? So you might have brought your grief, but have you called out to him? Have you said, said his name? Question number three, have I been directing my mind to remember God's goodness? So in the middle of the pain, have I been saying, God, like, I got so much pain. I have so much disappointment, but I will remember you. So yesterday was the day that um, my, my little brother died. He didn't die yesterday. It's the anniversary of his death. And I was thinking about this message and how so many times in the last 20-something years, I've had to say to God, I don't understand it all. But I will remember that you are a good God. I will remember that you have been good in the middle of my grief. I will turn my head even though it doesn't want to turn. And I will gaze on you. And this, when we call this to mind, this is what brings us hope. Turning our head, and many of you have walked through difficult things. There are so many people in this room that have walked through difficult things and yet still know the goodness of God. That's why we have to be in community with one another. We turn our head to God's goodness. Question number four, have I contemplated how the said of God is stronger than any other force on earth? Have I actually taken a moment to say, like, I'm not just singing about God's love, like Jesus loves me, this I know, but I'm actually like, contemplating the profundity of God's love. You know, it's a really fun exercise in your quiet time just to say to God, God, I'm going to ask that you would just show me a new, a new avenue of your love. Show me a new, like a new way of knowing your love. And God will always be faithful. He'll come and show you. But if you just say, yeah, yeah, I got that one. I understand the love of God. Check, check it off. You'll never actually really really get to God's love. It's an ongoing thing. Till the day you die, you'll be learning more about God's love. How about this one? How is my waiting game? We're all at some level waiting. <laughs> this is not our home. And we know that because there's so much profound pain that happens here on earth. If this is all there is, yikes. Yikes. So we're all waiting. But how's your waiting game? You waiting on the things God's given you or have you given up and tried to make it happen yourself? Number six, have I wrestled with the goodness of God in the midst of uncertainty and pain? 
This is what the book of Lamentation calls us to, to wrestle with this. A few of you asked me last week, like, Pastor Jess, could you just give us, like, how do we figure out, like, like in a world where there's evil and there's, how do I figure that out? And the thing is, the book of Lamentations doesn't give us a really solid cliche answer, and I don't think I should either. We got to wrestle it out. We got to, you got to wrestle it out, and it is in the wrestling that formation happens. If you choose not to wrestle, if you just want all the pat answers, you want Cole's notes for like all the ways to live, you will never be formed into the image of Christ. We are formed in his image when we wrestle with the difficult things. When we say, God, I I don't understand. Do you know that most of the people that come to the warming center have been abused and neglected? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know what I'm I'm trying to be a drug addict now and I want to be homeless. Nobody does. And I'm trying to wrestle that out, knowing that we serve a good God and knowing that many hundreds of those little boys and girls who were somebody's kids were alone. And we must wrestle with that. If we don't, risk becoming people who know to say all the right things and know how to be shiny, lovely, fancy Christians. But we will never get in the dishes with people. And the hesed of God never allows us to do that. His love is merciful, compassionate, coming after us again and again and again. So when did I last examine myself? When I studied Lamentations chapter 3, I asked myself this question. Am I examining myself enough? Am I saying, Lord, would you come and examine me? We examine ourselves, but in fact, we are not good enough because we all have blind spots. And I'll say I'm a 9 out of 10 and something that I'm a 2 out of 10. And some of you are overconfident to the max. And so we have to actually pray the prayer. David prayed, search me and try me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. We ask God to examine us. And you know, this is something sometimes we got to do 75 times a day. Examine me, God. My motives, my behavior. And finally, when did I last really repent? So the last time I checked it out, last time I checked it out, God will forgive me when I repent. But the onus on me is to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> like there's action on my part. He doesn't, because he, he is a God who believes in free will. He doesn't come and like make you, hey, I'm going to smote you and make you feel sorry for what you did. You know when you do that to your kids, it never works. You must say, I, and Dave and I said this last night to our kids, before we go out, you and your sister must say you're sorry to each other and you must mean it. And they said, we're sorry, we love each other. But it was like one of these like weird hugs. God's not interested in that kind of repentance. He's interested in a repentance that actually where our hearts are broken for the things that break God's heart. Where we say, God, would you just come and change me? And all over the place today, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you this morning.
I, I want to pray that God's word speaks to us deeply. The only way we are going to be changed is by his word. Where we take God's word and we appropriate it to our lives. So God, I, I'm just praying for my friends here tonight, this morning. I am praying that you would give us a new revelation of you, a deeper revelation of you, that we would, God, we would uh, want to be more like you. Help us to wrestle, wrestle with the things in your word. God, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, heart to understand, and obedient to be courage, courage to be obedient. God, I pray for the person that does not yet know you, who has not put their hand in yours. I pray that this morning they would say yes to you. I pray for those of us, God, who are, um, who are running in aberrant ways from you, that we would say, God, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. We're going to end in a song today. And I pray that as you're singing this song, that the Holy Spirit would just speak to you. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come. You know, sometimes when you're walking through hard things, the best thing you can do is have somebody put their hand on your shoulder and say you're not doing this alone. And we want to make sure that we are a community of people that is walking together. We're in this together. God is with us in the middle of this. So if you're here and you might have, maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with this message at all. If you have a prayer request, maybe you came and got a bad diagnosis this week from the doctor and you want someone to pray for you for divine healing. Listen, the prayer team is here to pray for you. Whatever your needs are, don't come in burdened and as heavy as you, um, don't leave as burdened as, and heavy as you came in. Let's believe that God's going to speak to us. Amen. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.